Okay, welcome everyone. It's really lovely to see so many familiar faces. So um, this is a good indicator of the appeal of Eve's talk. Um, welcome everyone to what we're calling a free book launch. Um, the book is nearly, nearly, nearly out, but we were so excited about it, we couldn't wait. So we are getting in early. Um, it's my real personal pleasure to welcome our speaker tonight, Dr. Eve Hayes-Sakalaf, who is a longtime friend of the Institute, um, going back to the days when you, as many others of you that I can see, um, were in the Senate House. Eve completed her PhD at the University of Aberdeen in 2018. And since then, she's undertaken a postdoc at Liverpool University and been appointed as stipendiary fellow at the Institute of Modern Languages Research at the School of Advanced Studies. Um, her research, as I'm sure all of you know, focuses on issues of citizenship and the state with a focus um, most recently on the case of the Dominican Republic. So we are excited to hear more about her research. Um, imminently to be published by Anthem Press. And I've put into the chat uh, the discount code and the link to the Anthem Press website where you can get, um, I think it's 20% off, is that right? 20% uh, off um, to hear about her research on legal identity, race and belonging in the Dominican Republic from citizenship to foreigner. So over to Eve. Okay, um, can everybody see my screen? Yeah, I just wanted to say um, thank you so much uh, for this invitation. It's so nice to see so many familiar faces um, and uh, old friends and colleagues and all sorts of people um, on who are logging in right now as we speak. So I'm not sure if I can see all of you as I give this presentation, but certainly I'm very happy to, to, to welcome everybody. Um, so first of all, thank you then for this very kind invitation. I'm extremely excited to be here um, and um, also to see so many people who've helped me with this fantastic project. Um, first and foremost, I'd obviously like to thank Kate um, for the kind of invitation to this pre-launch to what will be my, what is my first book um, entitled Legal Identity, uh, Race and Belonging from Citizen to Foreigner. Um, I'm very fond of the Institute, having taken my master's here back in 2010. Um, and that was an experience that was incredibly transformative and it helped push me on the journey to start writing this book, which will be published later this year as part of the Anthem Press series in Citizenship and National Identities. Um, so there will be a more formal book launch um, and hopefully an in-person book launch uh, with uh, discussants um, at the Centre for Caribbean and Latin American Studies, so at CLACS at the University of London, um, where Kate said, I am currently based as this year's um, stipendiary fellow. So I do hope that some of you can uh, join me at that as well. And I see a lot of familiar faces now coming into the call, and this is just lovely. Um, I did really want to thank uh, Juan Rodriguez, but I'm not sure if he's here. I was looking to see if I could um, see him. Um, but he is Juan Rodriguez, is a Dominican anthropologist whose face is on the front cover of this uh, publication. And he's very kindly, um, uh, very kindly gave us the permission to use his, um, to use his face. Um, 
and it's it, it's just um wonderful basically all the support that i've had from from everybody so thank you um before i start as well i wanted to say that some of the images that i'm going to use in this presentation were illustrate live illustrated by um the artist katie chapel who um who uh, put these together at um, a workshop at the Alan Turing Institute that I recently participated in called Researching Digital Identity During Times of Crisis. Um, so a big shout out to Katie for doing that because I think they've really, she really captured the essence really of what the book is about um, and what um, I've been trying to achieve with the research. So. So this book provides some uncomfortable insights into how modern day identity based development solutions can also be used for discriminatory and ultimately um, exclusionary purposes. So the book illustrates how efforts to provide people with proof of their legal existence as Dominican citizens facilitated a space which allowed for the retroactive exclusion of hundreds of thousands of largely, um, although, although not entirely, Haitian descended citizens from the Dominican Civil Registry. Now these foreign making practices not only affected undocumented populations, i.e. Um, so in the DR case you might hear, you'll hear a lot about um, stateless populations, who were people without out, um, paperwork who, uh, and who had very largely lived an informal existence, um, but they also had a significant impact on persons who already held some form of state-issued national ID. And as we'll see from this talk then, many of these people, these people thought they were Dominican citizens and also had the paperwork to prove it, yet um, increasingly found that the state um, refused to issue and or reissue them with the documents that they needed to go about their everyday lives. And ultimately then, um, this blocked them from many opportunities, um, from attending university to working in the formal economy, um, opening a bank account, owning a driver's license, voting, um, having access to a pension, um, also being able to access welfare, aid assistance ad infinitum. So basically um, the point here being that um, ID and identity documentation is intrinsically linked to the concept of citizenship and um, what is missing then um, oftentimes from this debate is what, how citizenship is being defined and who should have, ac have access and who is being excluded um, from the body, body politic. Um, and as um, Sagas um, has noted, um, Domin in, over the past two decades, Dominican citizenship has become more inclusive for some, but more exclusive for others. Um, and this is really uh, what I want to, talk about today. So um, I identified then the need for a more global conversation around what was happening in the Dominican Republic beyond its relationship with its neighbour Haiti. So as we traditionally see in scholarship, this case is usually understood through a migration lens and thought to and argued that this stems from an immigration dispute between the two countries. But when I started this project, I saw that this framework was oftentimes problematic in the, in the sense that it assumes the actions of the state as fervently nationalistic and anti-Haitian, which, which can be true, but is only part of this story, because what that framing does is it fails to provide any rationale as to why the state was acting the way it was um, and why um, increasingly people were finding um, 
finding their uh, uh, access to citizenship being blocked. So my book therefore adds a new dimension to this case because it identifies the role of international actors, the World Bank, UN, Inter-American Development Bank and others who, uh, and, and their influence of um, and over promulgating and uh, implementing national ID systems. And I think that this, this is a very important point because it exposes a tension between the global um, versus the sovereign. So over how international actors are understanding um, ID systems and um, the implementation of legal identity measures and how this then can clash um, at uh, a local level. And then, um, uh, so, from, from the re recent discussions that we had, we talked very much about the need to identify the impact of contemporary on mass ID systems on the lived experiences of populations to highlight the dangerous potential of such programmes for discriminatory practices. Um, so how are people experiencing these systems? What stories do they have? Um, we certainly need, and I hope this contributes, this book, um, contributes to this, but we need more empirical research, socio-historical research, analysis of political and economic um, realities to understand um, what is what is happening and uh, to acknowledge then that ID systems are invisibilizing certain, certain populations. Um, also, we talked about the need for um, how IDs can be embodied um, and also how these are linked to different, um, link, link us to different um, kinship ties and uh, different and family connections, but, um, and how ID can forge a sense of belonging, but also, um, yeah, also create um, disputes basically about who, who belongs. So living, but the, the crucial point of this is that those who are living outside of the system, so those people, stateless populations, for example, and people who are undocumented, are finding it more and more difficult to navigate day-to-day -day, um, activities as we might do as citizens. Um, and then to think about the, the Dominican case, I think it's very helpful if we take uh, what Torre Sajant talks about as being the permanent foreignness of Haitian descended populations. So um, NGOs, when they examine the experiences of Haitian migrants, tend to conflate these together with their Dominican born children. So they assume um, that, they, that they live a certain way and experiencing um, uh, documentation a certain way but really um this can be th that can somehow flatten then the experiences of the Haitian descended um in in so much as we can talk about Haitian descended populations they might be fourth fifth sixth generation but they're still being talked about as migrants whereas in the Dominican imaginary um a first generation person born to italian parents for example is very quickly adopted into the um uh, adopted as a dominican um and as i will explain this of course has um, many uh is is very closely tied then to ideas around race um uh and race belonging and um and uh, social and cultural capital. But um, the, so the, the fact being, 
then that also in the US context, you have you have um, Dominicans and their descendants who um, who are staking basically a claim to uh, Dominican identity and increasingly having access to their ID cards. Whereas you uh, uh, and these can be people who have never been to the country um, and um, and have not grown up there. Whereas you have the situation of Haitian descended populations who were born in the country, have grown up there, sometimes over several several generations, yet will never be seen as Dominicans. Um, so this tension there is particularly important because while the focus uh, is typically on stateless populations, um, so I apologize, while it's on stateless populations, um, namely undocumented people with no form of ID, this study in contrast is looking at documented Dominicans. So people of foreign lineage who were already in possession of some form of state issued ID document, who then began to find um, that they were treated very differently um, when trying to access their documents. So, legal identity, um, in a nutshell, is still being disputed. It's a it's full definition still being disputed in international circles. A definition of it doesn't exist in international law, but essentially it is um, how we um, how we acknowledge a person's legal existence through the issuance of some form of state-issued identity card. And over the past three decades, a silent a global revolution has been taking place in the sense that a monumental, this monumental change is going to have and is already having an impact on every living person on this planet. Far-reaching and ambitious identification systems have grown to become an, inter, um, an integral part of everyday life. And their importance is only set to increase as we're seeing um, with, for example, with the coronavirus pandemic. So debates over which group should get access to vaccinations, for example, whether or not we should allow COVID passports and also um, travel restrictions are movements not only crossing borders, but also within them are becoming increasingly re relevant within this within this picture. So. Um, ID systems are a multi-billion dollar industry that are being supported by tech companies, data controllers and development specialists. They also form part, an integral part of the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, which by 2030 um, aim to provide a legal identity for all, including birth registration. This means that every living person on this planet um, will um, or should have a identity document um, that identifies who they are and gives them a unique identifier number um, by um, over the next decade. So this is really a huge and ambitious undertaking of, um, uh, of states and also uh, the international uh, development arena. Um, so identifiers then can include um, a birth certificate or identity card and these they're, they're also very closely now tied to the development agenda in the sense that they're a prerequisite for development in the modern world. That means that in order to access, for example, cash transfer payments, in order to be um, considered for aid assistance, um, uh, you need to have an ID card. And if you don't have an ID card, there are programs that are now identifying you, tracking and tracing you and ensuring that you have some form of ID. 
So the, the, the debate around this then is very much um, focused on fostering inclusion, improving access to an education, health and welfare services, and the birth certificate then being a passport to protection. And as we can see then, the, the debates on this are very much centred around children. So um, and it makes perfect sense. You, you target children um, when they're born, because by providing them with, um, with uh, a legal, legal existence, and legal recognition, then they're able to unlock their 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 basic rights. Um, so, but what what is is really not being focused upon in this debate is firstly the impact of registration systems on adults. So, how as we're overhauling civil registries, as we're implementing new social protection measures, how adults are also e experiencing um, these changes. Um, and it is looking at um so it's not not considering the, the impact on adults and it's also focusing on children and focusing on this language of inclusion so as i've said then over the next 10 years um legal and digital identity are set if they're not already central themes in the global development agenda and Debates then on identification measures, including the technologies that support them, are typically couched within this discourse of belonging, social inclusion and the universal right to a legal and increasingly digital identity. Um, so social protection is wholly dependent on channeling assistance to those who hold the correct ID and or ensuring that those who don't have this um, can have some form of access to, to an ID. Um, the concern here, then, is that there's an overwhelming focus of these practices on indigenous and Afro-descended populations in context, uh, in context where historically these groups have faced systematic discrimination and social exclusion. Historically, identities, um, race and constructs of belonging in the region have been consistently reimagined, hierarchically structured and or misused for political and economic gain. So colonial regimes relied heavily on complex caste systems, racial categorizations and blanqueamiento, which is the process of whitening the race or uh, mejorando la raza. Um, so the process of literally improving the race bringing um, indigenous and Afro-descended populations closer to, to, to whiteness and to Europeanness. And these practices were implemented then as a means to control, dominate and enslave. For centuries, indigenous populations, the Afro-descended and, and the Incompore, particularly women, were systematically excluded from the privileges of formal citizenship and therefore treated as non-belongers in their country of birth. Um, yet, um, policymakers fail to engage with the socio-economic and historical realities of the um, places where they work. Programs are typically conceptualised at a macro level, so i.e. in Washington, um, but they um, and they're not taking into consideration the potential limitations or problems with large-scale registrations. Or if they are, they're, they're, they're not. They're certainly not not um, mentioning that as much as they should do in the in the policy documents. So um, this is concerning then in countries where there have been disputes over who should have access to, um, to citizenship documentation and who is excluded then from this imagined community. And um, certainly, certainly there are advantages of, um, of ID systems. Um, 
these data, for example, can improve the collation of statistical data known as vital statistics. And this can be very useful to people like us, the academics, policymakers, statisticians, um, politicians. Um, yet little attention then, as I said, is has been placed on how birth registrations are affecting, affecting adult populations. And this is important, um, as we will see, because there have been fundamental changes in how citizens are being registered and recategorized on a global level. So going back to the Dominican case then, um, authoritarianism and uh, there's a very close relationship between authoritarianism and the ID card. So um, as we can see here the picture of Rafael Trujillo, who's, um, who was the dictator who ruled her over 30 years. In fact, it was the 60 year anniversary of his death just last week, something that I think is often overlooked by many um, Latin American specialists. Um, he was fiercely anti-Haitian um, despite his own ha Haitian heritage. Um, he also orchestrated and ordered the 1937 border massacre. I, I can't see if he's on the call, but Edward Paulino, I think very helpfully termed this as a genocide um, and reminds us that this was a, a, a moment of uh, pivotal importance in the, in the Americas. And um, Trujillo then uh, used the, mass the massacre, the motivation for the massacre was to Dominica Dominicanize the border. He instructed uh, the military then to kill um, Haitians on site. Um, this led to the deaths of, of tens of thousands of uh, not only Haitians, but also Haitian descended populations, because the idea being that that really you, um, that really blackness was central to um, to his uh, to the to the massacre, and you really didn't know who was Haitian and who was Dominican in this context. So Trujillo celebrated a construct of Dominican identity that was white, Catholic, Hispanic. Um, and then linked these traits to, um, to uh, ideas of modernity, civility, and Europeanness. So essentially, as um, David Howard has, um, um, has underlined, um, Dominican, I, the Domin Dominican identity is simply the antithesis of Haitian identity, um, one which is associated with, with blackness, with the descendants of slaves, uh, with a history of revolution and rebellion, and with close ties to Africa. So however constructed or however imagined then this um, idea of Dominicanness is, um, he, it, it had um, an impact because it meant that the state could control and monitor more closely how it racially classified Dominicans. So um, in the 1930s, Trujillo introduced the country's first national ID card, um, which racially, which had uh, racially classified Dominicans, um, and then subsequent um, authoritarian leaders such as Joaquin Balaguer um, then utilised uh, or even weaponized the um, cédula, the the ID card, as a form as a political um, tool. So he um, would, uh, during election campaigns, uh, send people out to migrant uh, uh, to to areas where migrants and migrant descended populations lived, for example, sugarcane plantations or bateas, um, and literally give out paper ID. So, and this, they would give this ID to, to Haitians, to Dominicans, to anyone who they thought could secure a vote for the party. So, 
Um, I also wanted to draw your attention then to, to this book, La Nacionalidad Dominicana, which was written by um, the Dominican lawmaker Juan Miguel Castillo Pantaleón. This um, book is basically an argument for why, um, why Haitian descended populations could never have access to the Dominican uh, nationality. And I think it's important then if we look at how this, um, how this book depicts um, uh, depicts this young girl. So she is, um, she's shown as being very vulnerable in her underwear. She's uh, uh, white and blonde and upholding the Dominican, um, the Dominican flag. So it's this idea then, of the Dominican nationality being inherently linked to whiteness, Europeanness, innocence and Catholicism and simply existing as the, the antithesis to, to Haiti. Um, so why is this um, why is this relevant then? Well, um, as many of you, I think, uh, will, will be aware, on the 23rd of September 2013, uh, the Dominican Constitutional Tribunal um, retroactively and arbitrarily stripped um, the plaintiff, um, Juliana de Guispierre, who we can see in the bottom right of the photo, of her um, Dominican nationality. Um, so Juliana was in possession of a, um, of a Dominican birth certificate, which was um, subsequently um, uh, invalidated um, by the, the tribunal judges. They then refused to issue her with her Dominican um, ID card with her cédula, arguing that um, for over 80 years, um, the Dominican Civil Registry had been erroneously um, recording people as Dominicans, and that they were, they saw this ruling as a need to rectify uh, this clerical error um, that had meant that tens of thousands of Haitian descended populations were being recognised as uh, as Dominicans. So this uh, there's a very complex legal argument behind this that I won't go into today. It is in the book, um, and you can um, you can read that there. But the, the the fact being that this decision hinged on the fact that that Juliana was born in the Dominican Republic, was documented, grew up thinking that she was a citizen, and then was subsequently told um, when she needed to get an ID card um, that was demanded of her from her employers, um, that, she, that she wasn't a Dominican at all. In fact, that she was a Haitian national. Um, so this was a hugely, uh, hugely controversial ruling. It led to widespread criticism of the, um, of the Dominican Republic, um, both in terms of how it treats its, uh, my, uh, how it treats migrant populations, but also this kind of, it, it also led to this kind of new era of, of uh, confusion and debate and antagonism over who, how are Dominicans being, uh, being defined, how, how, um, and who is a Dominican and who isn't. So if we see one of the protests here, the protest sign says, if I'm not from here, then where am I from? I want to vote. And the picture of Juliana is of her at a passport when she, um, sorry, at an airport when she was invited to, uh, she was invited to present her case before um, a human rights, um, uh, there was a, uh, Bridget's on the corner, she can, she can remind me, but there was a human rights um, hearing and, and um, she was not allowed to travel basically because she didn't have a passport. Um, 
and so she was essentially blocked from from leaving um, on an aeroplane to go and talk at this human uh, rights event. So in response then to the ruling, uh, former President Leonel Fernandez said, well, if the ruling is retroactive, then there's been a problem in determining the legal status of people living in the country. They've been under the impression that they're Dominican and at some point were even in possession of paperwork and something like that can lead to other problems. So the motivation then for this um, for a lot of this research was to understand them, not just understand the policy and understand what policy, how policy was being conceptualized and rolled out, um, particularly in the Dominican context. Um, so what was happening kind of at this um, international level, but then see the impact of these policies on the lived experiences of Dominicans. And importantly, I didn't just want to interview people who were, um, who were, uh, affected by um, by the ruling, I wanted to understand um, how uh, the impact of when uh, changes to uh, how we are identified come into play and how these are experienced on the ground. And these can be experienced in all sorts of contradictory and confusing, um, confusing ways. They can also be um, very important for people who, um, they can be transformative for people as well if they get, if they get the right documentation. So I'm going to share four examples with you now of people that I spoke to um, for, the, for the book. Um, this is a woman who was uh, born to Haitian parents who had a Dominican birth certificate, but was subsequently told after the 2014, uh, 2013 uh, tribunal that she would have to register as a Haitian migrant. And she told me, well, I told someone who's waiting for registrations that I don't want documents from immigration what am I going to do with a document that's meant for foreigners? What am I going to do if I'm not allowed to get my card? About two months ago I went to buy a phone and, and they didn't want to sell me one. They told me I couldn't get a SIM card because I wasn't registered as a Dominican. There are lots of things I've wanted to do but I can't. I can't get a good job with this card because they tell me I don't appear in the system. I'm not allowed to vote. Um, and these stories are very very common then. Um, this is a response that I got from Anna Velike, who is a um, who is one, a, a founder of Reconocido, which is um, a campaign group, a very well known campaign group in the Dominican Republic that has been campaigning for the rights of uh, Haitian descended populations to a Dominican nationality. Um, and she was very clear with me that she wanted to separate um, debates uh, on Haitian migration um, and, and, and talk about her right to citizenship as a Dominican. And, and this, this highlighted really the, the kind of um, limbo that people who are, were affected by this ruling can find themselves in, um, particularly because they, they're existing, um, as somebody has said, uh, called them ghost citizens, they're existing this um, in this kind of uh, limbo space whereby they, they, are, they, they can't identify as one thing and they can't identify as the other. So she told me, I am a Dominican because I was a Dominican the day I came into this world. But what makes you a Dominican? A person is where they're born. It's not just what the law says. I can't identify with Haiti. I don't have the Haitian culture in me. So I've been there now through a process of exploration, but they see me as a foreigner, even though um, here they say that I'm Haitian. I learned some Creole, but, um, but a Haitian hears me speaking and they know it's a foreigner speaking their language. So everything I've learned, I am, I've learned here, the way I am, the way I think. Um, there are attitudes and ways of being. I'm an expression of what I see, history, language, traditions, food, 
um, dance, music, religion, practically everything. I can't give you one example because it's a combination of things. And I think that shows really, really well then um, that the, the level of, um, uh, of uh, the impact basically that that changes to legal identity measures can have on a person's sense of uh, sense of belonging and uh, the understandings that they have about about their own um, their own uh, citizenship so um, another factor in the book that um, I have I won't have time to go into in too much detail today is um, how um, uh, how because of um, particularly because of World Bank funding but also with support from the Inter-American Development Bank and the UN um, there was a complete overhaul of the social policy sector in the mid um, in well from 2004. Now this overhaul meant that um, social protection programs were being used to target and identify persons who were eligible for um, state assistance. Um, and this is this is very important because for the people the the um, welfare card that you can see in this picture is only available to people who have a Dominican cedula. So now you can see how these um, opportunities um, can be blocked off because without without an ID card, then you can't um, get uh, 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 access to cash transfer payments, which are being dispersed um, via this card. I also think it shouldn't go unnoticed that this card was um, sponsored by Visa International and, and very much um, counted on the participation of the banking sector as well. So this idea about um, not just identifying citizens, but also kind of creating consumers and creating people whose uh, uh, consumer habits, I think you can monitor is an extremely important picture of this, uh, of this jigsaw. So um, uh, I interviewed, I spoke to a Colmado owner, who, a Colmado is a small um, kiosk basically that sells goods and supplies um, in a local sugar cane plantation in Abate. Um, and he spoke to me very, um, uh, very uh, um, it was a very emotional conversation that he had about about how people who are being excluded from these systems are being treated and he said Dominicanidad so Dominicanness is not just about pride it's about seeing others who are losing their nationality we're pushing them into a social limbo there are children who can't study because of this attack they can't move upwards for people who don't have their documents they're not insured they can't go to the clinic to be treated they can't get hold of a tarjeta solidaridad so this welfare card that she's holding they don't have ex um, uh, they the rich dominicans and he's talked specifically about the vicini family so people of italian descent for example who um who uh, found their wealth in the in sugar and um, he said well they they don't experience any of this because they have the money the influence and the social status um, and then finally the last experience I think is very important because this highlights how um, really uh, despite the um, kind of overwhelming emphasis that international organizations place on the need for documentation about uh, about it unlocking rights about it being an essential um, uh, essential for accessing uh, basic human rights and um, citizenship privileges um, documents are still um, are still depend very much dependent on on state agents and other people who interact with them and this as Bartlett, Jayaram and Bonham um, uh, have, have uh, 
stated very very clearly in a study that they they carried out um, said that you know that documents they depend on a variety of social factors which include the situation in which they were presented the audience bear, uh, witnessing the event a calculation of the bearer's social capital and judgments made about the bearer's class, status and race. And these observations are necessary because in this case, um, the person that, that was blocked from getting her identity documentation, she was unable to take the national exams. Um, she got a phone call to a house from the uh, civil registry a day after she had participated in, um, in protests and was, and was worried because she was a social activist um, and uh, was worried that she was being, um, uh, her movements were being uh, monitored. Um, she was uh, born to Argentinian parents. And I think this really highlights then the ambiguities that come up in terms of what, what's been happening on the island, Spe um, specifically because she, um, her parents were, um, uh, had a visa, had a working visa when she was born, but they didn't record her with a Dominican um, ID card and because of this the system flagged her up as being her case as being a problem. Um, so now we can see how um, interactions with civil registry officials are really wrapped up then in ideas of, uh, of docility and, um, and having to act a certain way and, and um, and uh, present a performance and she talks about this performance by telling me that um, when she went to basically argue her case and try and get her copy of her ID, she said, at that point, um, I decided to play the part of a smart little good girl. My mom sent me to get my hair done. She made me take out my earrings. I dressed well. I wanted to look calm. And I said, oh, look how lucky we are. Um, um, we found out about this and now we have come to resolve this issue. But in reality, on the inside, I was angry. I didn't understand how out of nowhere a person could lose their nationality and no one tells you. And that's what happened to me. So she's saying that she was able to resolve it because of her social um, social capital and because of her class status and race she was able to navigate these systems um, but of course people um, people who don't have access um, to uh, have access to certain privileges then of other ones that are finding themselves increasingly excluded so right where are we going with this research then well um I hope that I'm doing a, a shameless plug, but I do hope that many of you, um, I, I know a number of you on this call will be part of this conference on the 23rd and 24th of June, um, but we're going to have a conference entitled Reimagining Belonging in Latin America and Beyond Access to Citizenship, Digital Identity and Rights. And the purpose then of this conference is to look across the Americas to try and understand what is happening um, in um, in, in the region. And um, we'll have an examination of nation building practices. We'll look at challenges to legal definitions of status, not only for migrant descended populations, but also for non-binary populations, which I think is a fascinating area of study and one that I'm very much looking forward to learning more about. Um, analysis then of the recent Windrush scandal, um, experiences of uh, the Bumidon, uh, Bumi which is a registration process in the Francophone Caribbean impact of biometrics on the fundamental rights of the citizen and an exploration of citizenship state, uh, stripping statelessness and foreign making practices across the region. So um, I do hope that, as I said, that some of you can join me there. So then, in conclusion then, um, foreign making uh, processes, particularly in the Dominican case, are not so much about borders or sending people elsewhere. They are instead intended to imprison people within their own socio-economic socio space. 
And these systems, as um, Tonkis reminds us, are heterogeneous and complex. And they're experienced empirically in a variety of ways. Um, so they certainly are not experienced in, in kind of the uniform, uh, uh, all-inclusive, all, um, uh, all-inclusive way that, that basically international organisations are currently selling. Um, so in uh, the run-up to the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, um, this is only set, I think, to become a more increasingly important issue, and particularly, as I've said, with what we're seeing as happening um, with the the COVID um, pandemic. So the Dominican case then, it throws a spanner into the claims of international organisations that effective ID systems foment social inclusion. And more empirical research of these policies and how they're being experienced on the ground is absolutely needed. So while NGOs and the media, and you will have seen this, I, I would imagine in the Dominican case, they focus on the deportations of Haitian migrants, practices that block access to documentation to Dominicans, uh, essentially intended to keep populations in situ, um, blocking them access and stopping them from, uh, from climbing up the social scale and truncating their opportunities along the way. Um, and so just to end there then with, with this quote um, that um, one, per one of the participants said was a person is not just about the nationality, Dominicanidad, so Dominicanness is a word that limits you, it restricts you to a certain role. It's not just about beer, the malecon, the beach or drinking rum. It's a word we're using to organise people. And I think when we, we think about the study of race and the study of how... Um, how historically we have um, we have restructured our um, uh, populations. I think it's very important to understand then that these are registration systems are essentially organising mechanisms, and they do have the potential to um, to work against people as well as for them. So thank you very much. I've left um, a discount code for the book then. Um, if anybody, uh, yeah, just, just uh, you put in that code and I think you say that you participated today at this, um, this uh, pre-launch and um, you will get 20% discount. So thank you everybody. And I very much look forward to your questions. Great, thank you so much, Eve. Um, it's a fascinating talk and um, you know, it clearly comes across the wide ranging implications that your study has and we're already seeing